All right, we are here today with Josh Pigford of Bear Metrics and many other previous ventures. Thanks for being here, Josh. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Could you give me a quick overview of your background and your history and how you got to where you are now with Bear Metrics? Yes. So I've, I've been a um, self-proclaimed maker of things for probably, I mean, really since I was a kid, but in the like web side of things for a solid 15 years. So I started just like making random things um, really back in high school. And, uh, and then that kind of like everything was sort of a stepping stone. And then that, you know, I built a couple of random SaaS products years ago and then ultimately bare metrics came out of that, um, was sort of like trying to solve scratch my own itch. So that's where we're at now. And I, I do that bare metrics. So that's one of my favorite things about bare metrics or the story about bare metrics is that you didn't just come up with an idea and launch an app. You had a couple of apps that kind of in a roundabout way led you to bare metrics. Um, is there, do you kind of have some color for that story and kind of how that unfolded and how you realized and how bare metrics came about? Was it, were you building it for yourself or did you realize there's a business opportunity here? What kind of, what came first? Yeah. So, um, about, let's see, this was 2000 and maybe 10, 2011, something like that. Um, I had two SaaS products, both in the kind of the survey space, um, super vanilla SaaS products. Like, you know, you paid 29 bucks a month, 99 bucks a month, whatever. And, uh, and so I needed all these metrics, MRR, lifetime value, churn, et cetera. Um, or at least I assumed that I did. I, there was no real great way to get it, um, without doing spreadsheets and things like that. So, um, so initially this came about with like me trying to not have to build something myself. I mean, I'm opposed to that kind of thing. Um, but I tried a bunch of different products that were out there, like more higher level analytic stuff like Kissmetrics or Mixpanel, which have some really basic stuff in there already. But I could never get what I wanted. And I was always afraid that I was doing it wrong, like because it all was based on you putting the data in there. Yeah. So it did not solve the human error side of things. And um, so I finally was just like, well, Stripe's got all the data. Let me build this internal tool. So I built an internal tool like there was still not this. Hey, I'm, let me. There, I did not see it as a business opportunity initially, um, but started talking to other buddies who were building SaaS companies and um, really kind of struggling with the same stuff. And they're like, "Yeah, man, I need that." So uh, I I built the first version. Um, it was about over a month from the I, when I had the idea, like, "Hey, I could make this like a little side project." Um, it was probably about seven or eight days of coding um to get that first version out the door and that was november 2013 so three years ago so that's kind of what where it came about yeah nice so it was a side effect of a project and i think that's mm -hmm. kind of the more i've talked to people the more so many of the implicitly successful products didn't start out where somebody decided i want to build a business they decided i want to solve a problem and a business was just the side effect uh, yes, which is, I mean, there's that's the double-edged sword there. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, the big drawback of that is it's dangerous to think, well, because I have this problem, somebody else does too. Yeah. Um, and so you like make this artificial assumption that you like, yeah, there's absolutely a market for it because I need it. Well, yeah. you might be the only guy on earth who needs that. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I mean, it's, at the same time, I think it's a great entry point. Um, because a lot of times people go into 
I, I even, I hate to say like entrepreneurship, like it's like a field of study or something like, um, to me, it's just, I don't know. I would say most entrepreneurs, quote unquote, are just like born problem solvers. Like they're just like Mm -hmm. fixing things, whether it's on the internet or something literal, like a physical object. It's like, I like to, I like to solve problems. And I think when you've got a history of that, the the scratching your own itch thing like naturally leads to some stuff mm-hmm. where in a, in a way that's different than just saying sitting down and staring at a screen until you think of a business idea yeah yeah absolutely well yeah so there's always validation that needs to happen in one form or fashion but that for that kind of spark it helps a lot if it's coming from something you just genuinely wanted to build yeah. create and then kind of accidentally a business is born out happens of it. yeah right and i think it's uh helps reduces some of the stress when you're not going into it from this like i've decided on this idea and i really want it to work like no i'm just building the thing i need to build anyways and mm-hmm. i can turn it into something cool yeah absolutely so <clears throat> one of the things you probably have some deep opinions on since you run a metrics app is metrics in general you started out because you needed these metrics and right. so now as you built the app and have all of these metrics, um, kind of what would be your advice for people to, as they're coming into this, how to leverage metrics and get value out of them or, you know, just yeah. fit them into their business. Right. So if you're just starting out, ignore them. Do not, don't sign up for bare metrics. Like if you've got, if you, if you've got less than, I'm going to go low. I, well, if you've got less than like 10 or 20 customers, really probably even higher than that, you, there's no reason to sign up for any metrics or analytics service. Really even, not even just talking about like revenue, anything, like even like traffic and stuff like that. The, the only thing that matters at that stage really is like, am I making money? It doesn't even matter the exact amount of money that you're making. It's just like, okay, I made 100 bucks this month. How much am I, did I make 200 bucks the next month? Did I make 500 bucks the next month? Like all these little tweaking. So when, when it comes to metrics, every metric is, think of it like a, a knob to twist or a lever to move up and down. They're just sort of like little tools. And, um, and the problem early on is thinking that the one, that the, the, the numbers actually are meaningful at that stage and they're not. Um, but two, thinking that you can, have a big meaningful effect on them. Like if you're early on, you're, if you're like, Hey, my turn's 10%. Well, man, you've got 10 customers. Uh, you know, like it's a big deal if one of those leaves. That's, you know, that's one tenth of your entire customer base, but it doesn't matter that early. And so you have, to, you can get obsessed with numbers and like affecting numbers that early on don't matter. There's just, there's too many other things that you should be doing to grow the business than like caring about if a number has increased 30% or not. On, on one hand, you just, you're not going to have any kind of statistical significance with any exactly. at that point. And then on the other hand, seeing a churn rate isn't what's going to improve the business. It's talking to your customers and really building those relationships that can then help expand the business, learn where the business is falling short so you can fix those problems. But yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's pre-optimizing. Like, yeah. it's like the guy who's like, uh, you know, man, we need to build this thing. We need like 50 servers and we spend like the next six months having just this insanely um, like robust backend system and nobody signs up. Like yeah. it's solving problems you don't have yet. Yeah. Um, 
So yes, I think you can absolutely that's, care about metrics way too early. That's always a difficult line to walk though too, is when is too soon and when is too late, right? Yep. That's kind of the, the ongoing challenge of growing a business, I think. For sure. Well, I think you end up, um, I think that metrics can be a really, uh, especially when you're like the founder, um, it's easy to get distracted by busy work that you like you end up doing these random tasks because like you might be putting off the really important stuff because it's freaking hard. Um, or you're just not sure what to do next. So you just like pick an easy, the easiest path to go down. And so, um, you end up metrics is one of those things where you can like feel like you're doing meaningful work and there's not like yeah. by staring at the numbers. And I think that's, it can be, it can be a really huge distraction. I literally have a poster right here that says not everything that can be counted counts. And not everything Amen. that counts can be counted. Yeah, so spot on. Uh, so you've grown a couple of businesses and you've bootstrapped, you've raised money. In your experience, kind of what have been the pros and cons and what advice would you give to somebody else who's trying to make that decision? Do I need to raise money? Can I start this on my own? How's that been for you? Yeah, so... Um, a little backstory, Bearmetrics um, was bootstrapped to, oh gosh, I can't even remember what it was. I think we were doing maybe uh, $10,000, $20,000 a month. I can, I honestly, it was probably close to $20,000 a month. And um, and most of that was, that was just me by myself. I mean, by that point, I started like hiring some freelancers and stuff. Um, and then they're just ended up having something kind of fall on my plate. I had turned down a lot of investment offers because I've been bootstrapping stuff for a decade. Mm -hmm. So a really sweet deal popped up. So Bearmetrics was initially built just for Stripe. Stripe approached us to do um, the initial thing was a five hundred thousand dollar investment for what amounts to about five percent of the company. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean that was a sweet deal. Like I don't care about percent of ownership per se, like I certainly didn't care about 5%. I mean, it's like yeah. the whole equity thing's a whole, whatever. But uh, it was sort of, it, the terms of the deal were extremely ideal. Like it valued bare metrics at like $10 million. So like, uh, okay, <laughs> like there's no, nobody gets like a board seat. Nobody can tell me what to do. Like it, it's still, as far as on paper goes, was a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, it was free money for all yeah. intents and purposes. Yep. Just there were, the terms of it were such that it would have been crazy to not take it uh, when you look at just the paper. Mm -hmm. Now, the dangerous part that we're like on the tail end of finally like figuring out and fixing is that um, so what most businesses use fundraising for is to hire, mm -hmm. to 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 you know bring on more developers or a couple yeah. designers, whatever. And the problem is is like you know, go back to like twiddling with knobs, um, you can't adjust those knobs that much. Yeah. You know, it's because you're talking about people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, people's employment with you. So it, where it gets super dangerous is hiring a lot of people. And then as founders, we tend to be really uh, overly optimistic because we have to be yeah. to make something out of nothing. Um, and we assume that we'll grow enough to cover ourselves on the burn rate side of things. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, that's why you're so many startups that fail because they raised $10 million in funding, a hundred million dollars of funding and they hired a thousand people and then turns out they couldn't make enough money to cover themselves. Yeah. So that's 
that's my big thing is like, I'm not opposed to fundraising to like raising some money. Um, I don't think it's inherently evil. It's just money, especially there can be some bad terms, but if you get good terms, like, okay, cool. But when you start using that money to bring on people who, uh, who then are now depending on the business to grow, to keep up with that, Mm -hmm. it's so stressful. Holy crap. It's freaking stressful. And I mean, we had, uh, we like back in June, we realized that, um, we were spending way too much and we were about to run out of money. Mm-hmm. And so we had to, like, I took a 30% pay cut. My whole team took a 15% pay cut. And like, we're just now six months later starting to like increase everybody's salaries because we've, we've been mostly profitable for the past yeah. uh, couple months and trajectory should be fine. And that's um, obviously not an easy thing to go through to ask people, Hey, exactly. Consider and, this? and that was my fault, right? Like, um, if I had properly planned that stuff and not been overly optimistic, um, I think like we didn't really have like a finance person in place then, uh, early on, especially when I took on that money and I should have had somebody like, I'm not a numbers person in the like accounting sense. And, um, and so like just crunching a thousand rows of spreadsheet numbers and figuring like drove me crazy and I, and I avoided it. And, uh, and so that's, yeah, so that's my thing with fundraising is like, it's not inherently evil, evil. Like it's the whole Mac versus PC thing. Like who cares? But like. You can use it. You can screw it up pretty bad. Yeah, it's it's a tool, just like anything it's a tool. else. And right. you know, it's and the terms I think too are a big factor because everybody focuses on the dollar amount naturally because that's the quantifiable thing. But the terms right. on that's can, that can really really make it difficult and put you in a tough spot and uh, make yep. you miserable. I think like what um, when you hear about stuff um, like sort of VC horror stories. Um, a lot of that stuff is actually not even in the, so what I had was technically sort of like an angel round. So it's like the, the terms of those are actually usually pretty favorable other than like sometimes people get some, like the terms will be bad as far as a percent of ownership or something, but like other stuff, you don't really get into this like really scary, like now I as the founder only have 20% of the company and all these people are on the board who could like get, like kick me out of the company. That stuff doesn't happen until like you were like three rounds of funding in and you've made some pretty bad decisions. So like bootstrapping stuff, I mean, uh, doing some like a small angel round really isn't bad. If you can, if you are really great with, um, managing finances and like keep an eye on that stuff. Uh, and if you don't use it for hiring people, um, I don't think it's a bad deal. Yeah. So the other thing for you though, too, it kind of fell into your lap because of a couple of factors. One, because you had bootstrapped. So you were in a healthy spot and two, I could prove that we had that we had value. Had you started the the demo metrics account at that point? So oh yeah, that had been around for a long time. So I knew. Yeah, so this kind of came around by virtue of you building the business to a point where it was healthy, and thus you were yep. at least you weren't begging for money. It was just no. Hey, here's some money. What do you think? You're like, oh, wow, it's kind of hard okay. to say no. Right, and I think that's another thing too is that people think that I can't. I mean, the that they are not able to even get something off the ground without some money. Like it's like the fundraising thing is the first thing that they do. It's like, no, no, like prove something first, you know, like try to get a customer. There's way too many tools like uh, just spreadsheets and Zapier or something. You can cobble together something that will help somebody achieve something. And there's plenty of people that aren't capable of thinking about all that. Don't recognize those tools. Start out, build it all via web interfaces and these tools 
And mm-hmm. then once you've got people like, oh my God, that's so cool. You're saving me so much time. Then start to automate it, invest in it. Yeah. There's, there's I think a lot of ways to start cheaper. People just want too much too quick. Yeah. Like, and uh, it's sort of the whole thing. Like we want what it took our parents 30 years to get. Yeah. Like we want it like right away. And, um, and that, I mean, a part of that's the byproduct of there's so many things at our fingertips that, you know, were not, didn't exist a decade ago. But I think like having some patience, like we've, I know for me personally, the past, uh, over this past like Thanksgiving break, like I had this sort of like epiphany, at least in my head of like realizing like, I just, I, I don't care about the, um, I've, I've felt this sort of false sense of urgency with building, um, bare metrics. Like we got to do this. Like, and as though there's this imaginary finish line that like we could potentially be last to, but there's not, there's no finish line. Like we're just, we're building stuff. It changes, whatever there's competition, who cares? Like, uh, and when you think of it, whether there's not this end goal that you have to, that you may or may not win, does, there's no urgency. Like you just want to build something great and it makes things so much more pleasant. Yeah, absolutely. So on the transparency note, you've got a lot of, uh, customers now that have kind of jumped on board and they're full on with transparency based on talking to them and their experience and your experience, what have kind of been the pros and cons for transparency? So I think the huge caveat, if you're saying, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I want I'll publish how much we're making, uh, is what's the story that you're telling with it. Mm-hmm. So I think transparency for transparency's sake is irrelevant. Like it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, I don't think you win any sort of business brownie points by, uh, being transparent, you know, like you don't get a badge or anything like, um, I think when like for bare metrics, it makes a ton of sense because our market is other businesses and one, it shows off the product. Great. Um, but two, us helping other businesses by giving insight into uh, an actual business, um, helps them, which is great. Uh, but two, it also helps us, um, get new customers as well. So, but we're able to tell this like story about how businesses run and like the fact that it's not all like, you know, unicorns and puppy dogs. Like, um, and I think when you're able to use that to tell a story, whether that's a business story or just like, um, I know some businesses do that, you know, it's like they want buffer is a great example where like they don't have a financial product of any sort. Um, but they've built this entire company around the idea of like, we have nothing to hide. Like yeah. you can trust us. Um, it's like, there's a face, the being transparent almost gives a face to the company. So, yeah. um, but I think if you just do it sort of like, if you just sort of do it halfway for like, Hey, I'm gonna make my barometrics dashboard public. And then you never do anything with it. Then you'll see n- no tangible benefit whatsoever. Okay. The only, the only tangible consequence I've heard from folks is, if and when you ever get to a point where you want to sell the business, a lot of buyers uh, who aren't necessarily online buyers, who are more traditional business people, uh, don't like that. It makes them uncomfortable that that sure. information was out there. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing. I mean, um, I remember when I was uh, playing with the idea of making uh, our Barrett Metrics dashboard public, um, I mean, the feedback I got from a number of people was 
about not doing it was because it's like, well, if your competitor knows, you know, what your churn rate is or the lifetime value of a customer or people who aren't competitors, but are looking to start a business and they see like, man, the lifetime value of that customer is like $5,000. Like I could build something and make, if I could just make one tenth of that, like that'd be great. And it brings like that. It brings about a lot of competition. And I do think that's partially true. I mean, there's been a dozen bare metrics knockoffs. I mean, almost to the pixel. So like, it unquestionably brought about some competition, but at the fact at the same time, um, I think when you're doing stuff legitimately and like, you're not just motivated by like a quick buck, um, you'll be fine. Like there's so many of those at 99%. I mean, literally 99% of those barometrics knockoffs were gone within six months. Like yeah. this don't stick around, you know, they're trying to make a quick buck and they realize it's hard to do this. <laughs> Exactly. The uh, you, you look at it. If your motivation is just to make the money, and not because it's something you're excited about or passionate about yeah. for whatever reason, then you're not going to have the fortitude to stay with it. That's right. Of course, that's why half of the title of my book is sustaining. Right. Because <laughs> like that's anybody the, can start it. <laughs> that's the, that's the that's the fun exciting part, right? Yeah. But yeah, the sustaining parts where you're just like want to stab yourself in the eyeball. It's kind of it's kind of like a fire, right? Anybody can squirt lighter fluid all over a pile of of logs and get the fire to start, but it's maintaining that fire all night long. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, so from your early products, what was kind of the, is there a single lesson you could say that you learned from those products that translated directly to bare metrics beyond the whole idea for the business? Um, I, mistakes or sure. Um, I think, a lot. I will say two things. So pricing is one where um, I probably went way too traditional early on. Like felt like I needed like a, you know, a nine dollar a month plan or something like. Like I felt I didn't uh, value the my own business enough uh, early on in those previous products. Like, yeah. you know, thinking like, yeah, I should charge more for this. Uh, and I so with bare metrics, that was an, I intentionally um, started on like the higher end. Like I wanted it to feel a little too expensive Mm -hmm. um, and then to stick with it. And that's what we did. Um, Our very first customer was a $249 a month customer on bare metrics, which for me was just like, I was losing my mind. I was so excited when that happened. (laughs) Right. Like, yes, I picked a really high price, at least in my mind. And like, it worked, you know, like we've got customers who are four or five times that now, as far as what their monthly payment is. But I mean, like early on, like, man, I was, I'm glad that I didn't start off low because it's so, it's much easier, I think, to like offer some lower options if you felt like you needed to, but it's much harder to be like, Hey, we're tripling pricing, you know? Um, so that the pricing stuff, like charging more upfront, um, because it also naturally weeds out some less than pleasant customers. Um, and then also, you know, I, I, I think maybe this is my personality, but I did this in other businesses and I'm, and I carry that through to bare metrics. And I think it's really paid off for us is, um, being as like high touch with customers as possible. Um, you know, like, uh, especially early on, I mean, I hopped on the phone with every customer, every one of them. And, um, and regularly, like we still have an automated email sequence to at least offer to hop on a video chat every there's like a three month one, a six month one, a 12 month one, like an 18 month one to like say like, Hey, let's just talk shop. I'm not trying to sell you on a thing. Like I just want to know how your business is doing and if I can help. And a ton of people take, I mean, that's a ton of my time is just spent 
hopping on video calls with customers invariably get feedback and a lot of serendipitous feedback that somebody wouldn't email you about, but they'll mention in a conversation. Happy to talk about it. Right. So, um, and I, I wasn't, we were very intentional with that with bare metrics, but I had done that before just kind of little bits here and there and realized like, Hey, those, those things were beneficial. So, um, I do think there's a lot of new businesses, especially first time, um, people who are doing it for the first time around, like get really scared to talk to humans, you know, <laughs> like, and it can be awkward at first, but then you just kind of, you figure it out. But that's yeah. so important. Yeah. Um, so you didn't have barometrics.com at first, right? Cause I know yeah. at first. So there's usually yeah. a story behind getting a .com. Yes. I don't want to go so, spend a lot of time on it, but there's usually something fun yeah. to, to get into here and some experience for people who want to get that .com for their own business eventually. Yeah. So I, when I came up with the name for bare metrics, um, everything was available as far as like the Twitter handle and Facebook mm-hmm. and, but like the .com was taken and there was a, it was like a GoDaddy landing page yeah. with a huge butterfly on it. And that was it. And, and it was like, it said like, it was like filler text, like, this is my site. Welcome to my site. Like, there's nothing there, essentially. Yeah. And uh, so the I had reached out uh, a dozen times over the first uh, year mm-hmm. trying to get the .com. And um, I, just, I never heard anything, just never heard back at all. And um, about a year in, um, this is right after we had gotten $500,000 in funding. Yeah. Um, which was very, I mean, again, transparent, like yep. all over the, the web. You just search for bare metrics and it was like the top news thing was that we'd raised $500,000. And, uh, and so then I realized that like, hey, I can try to get this domain through GoDaddy's like domain buying service. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, you know, it's like you just make a bid. Like you did, there's no even like buy this domain now for $20,000. Yeah. Um, just bid on something. So I was like, oh, well, what do I have to lose? I think it was like 70 bucks from GoDaddy to just use the service. Yeah. So I do it and uh, I, what, I bid like, I think I put in 600 or something like that or 550. I can't remember exactly. And holy moly, a few days later, it worked. Like they came back and they're like, the so-and-so accepts your bid. I'm like, wait, what? Seriously? <laughs> like all said and done, it was like $616 to get this domain where like, again, if this guy had just searched for the word bare metrics would have realized I've got half a million dollars sitting in my bank account. And uh, maybe that's just wow. a, this, a, a decent human being in the domain world. Yeah. Surprise, I guess. And, uh, and I had it. I mean, that was right just, I had spent a year trying to personally go out and do it, just yep. sending an email and I got no response, but the go anything. thing. Holy moly. I don't like GoDaddy, but like, man, they came through. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So one of the things that, and this could be a long conversation we talked about on Twitter a little bit was cancellation processes. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate of automation on many reasons for the customer, for cutting down on support, for all sorts of stuff. But you do bring up the very good point that it is one of the best ways to kind of spark a conversation at a critical time where there's a huge learning opportunity on why they're leaving. Yep. I tend to believe that cancellations don't happen in an instant like that. They, you know, they sure. happen over a month or two months while they kind of lose interest and fade. Yep. Yep. Um, 
Could you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Obviously, now y'all have changed over. I assume you right. haven't changed back. So you have an automated cancellation process now. Where you had a manual process where they had to email you for a long time. Yep. Um, how did that go for you? What were some of the pros and cons? I mean, it sounds like you never had anybody upset about having to email, which is fantastic. Um, sure. Yeah. So yeah. tell that story. So this came about um, ooh, maybe a year... I don't even like a year and a half or something like that, where we were having uh, serious churn problems. I, mean, I think we were double digit churn and um, and we were just having the hardest time. Like we were doing the so we had an automated cancellation. You just click the button. Uh, I even think we even had like a we had a text box or something where you could put in why we may have even required the text box, um, but it was still automated. And we were just we were getting no good feedback um, people would just like type in random stuff into the text box, like nothing useful. And we would do follow up emails like right after they canceled. Saying, hey, can would you mind giving us a reason or can we hop on a phone call? No feedback from that. Like we just weren't getting any traction and we're having a really difficult time figuring out why the heck people are canceling. And so with double digit churn, like we got we to gotta do something like that's a bad spot to be yeah. in. So we said, hey. Um, let's just make it, we'll take down the automated thing and just make it a click this link and it brings up the, it really, it a chat window. It wasn't even like you had to open your email inbox. It was like an intercom chat window popped up pre-filled where it just said, Hey, I want to cancel my account. Okay. And they hit send. And usually we'd respond within minutes most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we'll say, let's just do that and see for what happens. And we, we started getting really great feedback. Like, and, and the, I think the chat interface helped that a ton because we were, we were really intentional about responding to these super quick. Like we auto put them in their own inbox and intercom. So like we knew, Hey, this needs like high priority response as quick as possible. And, um, and so the, the chat interface made it so that it wasn't like they're sending this email off into the ether and hoping that somebody sees their cancellation request. It was like, we're talking to a person right there. And, um, and a lot of times two things would happen. One, they would like give us amazing feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, when we could have, and because we were having a chat, you're able to like keep a conversation going to get even better feedback. Or they would say like, I really needed this like feature X and we could say, Hey, here's a link. We have the feature. So that's great feedback for us to know, like we're doing a terrible job of surfacing this feature. And two, we're solving the problem and then they want to stay a customer. So like we're getting great feedback and we're even actually helping some people not have to cancel. Yeah. Um, and so really it just stuck around like it, what we, it, we had no intention of even keeping it around that long, but we, we just kept getting great feedback. And I mean, I can count on one hand, the number of people that were upset even remotely. I mean, there were a couple of people who were very, I mean, yeah. It was like I had killed their dog. It's a very, um, it's but you get a it. Black and white thing for some people. It is right. I and think I get. If you're gonna do it, your your reasons and the motivation was right. The immediacy was right. Yeah. Um, I think you know emailing versus live chat's a big difference there. Sure. And uh, I think being responsive and it makes a big difference. It's not like you said emailing out into the. I think emailing it's it's a lot more and maybe not totally black and white but a little more black and white there where you shouldn't have to sure. email but a live chat you're not even leaving the interface right you're still right there and I, and I think a lot of people come into the conversation from you know I mean, the cable company is like the classic 
like I gotta call my cable company and the whole time they're spending like an oh, hour boy, trying to keep me around and like yeah, screw that, right? So um and yeah, like, discount. If you stay around for six I will give you six months free. Like we never tried to like push yeah. people to hang around. And um so but eventually that being said, uh we've over the past few months, like started realizing the feedback from that has progressively gotten less useful. Uh, and I think that's because we started solving yeah. a lot of the common problems that were happening. So um, in that whole Twitter conversation, which was like over the course of a full day with a dozen different people, uh, John O'Nolan from Ghost made this really great point or, you know, like if you're able to ultimately help a thousand people better by inconveniencing a dozen people, then like there's a trade-off there. Like that's business, you know, like you can't make everybody happy. And if we can ultimately long-term make something better for every, for a whole lot more people and a couple people kind of get upset, like that's a trade-off I'm willing to make yeah. for the long-term success of the business. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, uh, a few months ago we started realizing the feedback wasn't great. And so we decided lab, I feel like we could probably get better feedback by, not having the open-ended text thing, though that's still there, but having like pre-existing yep. radio buttons to choose from. And the feedback has has been um, uh, more quantifiable and kind of more actionable at this point. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still happy with how we did it. And I think like there's a time and a place for it, um, especially yeah. early on when that's so critical to get that kind of feedback. Yeah, and I think there's definitely some, some subtle tactics on how you approach it that make a very mm -hmm. big difference in the nefariousness of it. Yep. Yeah. Because I'm married that, you know, there, yes, there's lots of um, SaaS companies that do it and you do have to like phone in yeah. or send an email. You don't hear back for two days or something. And like, ones. I know, right. <laughs> Those guys are terrible. Uh, um, so we're kind of getting, getting towards the end here, but I've got a couple more, uh, the kind of universal questions. What's the worst sure. day, the most difficult, stressful thing you've dealt with? since starting bare metrics mm. uh, mid june Besides that of this conversation right right, right. um mid june when i realized we we're gonna run out of money yeah. um and i had i'd had a hunch that we were things were getting kind of tight mm -hmm. and that's uh, a buddy suggested hey check out this talk to this finance guy he'll put together like a spreadsheet model forecaster thing with all your expenses and a week later he's like hey man we can hop on the phone and uh and sure enough man that was that was a pretty terrible day how were those conversations with the team? Um, I think, I mean, everybody on our team's been, I mean, really has really done amazing given that I, I asked them to take a pay cut. And, um, I think like that conversation that day, like it was our like weekly morning stand up, and it was like, I just jumped into like, Hey guys, bad news. <laughs> like, but it was obvious. Like when I, when I'm able to, show the graphs of like, mm -hmm. here's if we don't do anything. Here's if only I take a pay cut. Here's if I take like a 50% pay cut. Here's if I don't get paid anything. Here's what happens if everybody takes you a 5% multiple choices. I showed to... them like asking you guys to take a 15% pay cut is the best option we have right now to not lay anyone off. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of, they took it as well as they could. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's going to take that and, celebrate but yeah right but everybody really has done amazing and now you feel like it's bouncing back well and everybody's yeah we increased and feels good about things yeah like we've backed off on the pay cuts and within the next 30 to 60 days everybody will be back to full 100 percent. right on 
So, That's good yeah. So this may dovetail right off of that, but if you could go back and do one thing differently, just one thing, what would it be? Um, it's related to the funding. I would not spend the funding to, um, to hire people. I, I mean, I, I right now still, well, I think the wound is fresh. Yeah. Um, I, st- I may would hire like one person or something, but I hired like five people. And so it's yeah, way too much. And again, you, it's like the nozzle that you can't, it's like, a, it's a, it's a water hose that you can't like just turn it off. Whereas like spending that money on like marketing or customer acquisition. It's a dial different. that adjusts this way really easy, but it doesn't come back without. And it does not go back. So, uh, yes, I, I, I would say I misused the funding that we, so that just, I took on. You would, you would have been more cautious. Yeah. I still, I, I mean the money again, great terms, yeah. nothing wrong with it. Uh, but the, the way in which I spent it, um, I was not, uh, I was, I should have been much more frugal. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. All right. Well, so that's the end of my question. Is there any kind of parting words you have or anything you'd want to say to somebody else who wants to, uh, start their own app? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think the only thing is like stick with it. Like, um, there it's fun. Like it's the whole, it's, it's the whole premise of your book, man. Like the, you know, the, the fun parts, the early stuff. And then when you launch it and you get two customers and then it stays at two customers for two months, like, man, that is just the biggest kick in the gut. And, uh, but you just have to keep trying stuff. And uh, I think a lot of people give up too quick or they go and think that yes, raising money is somehow the solution to their problem. Um, but I think it's like, yes, stick with it and then like get good at selling. Like you need to understand why people buy stuff and make them give you money. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Cool.